Well, good morning and happy Easter. Welcome to church on a beautiful Easter sunrise-ish morning. Are you glad you're here? Yeah, happy day. What a great day. morning is from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of God. It was Easter Day, but the disciples didn't quite understand how valuable Easter Day was. Rumors had happened about the resurrection of Jesus. Mary had come and said she'd seen him, but who would believe a woman anyway, right? They're always seeing things. But Peter thought he had seen him that afternoon. And there were a couple of disciples on the road that had come back, and they had said that they had seen him. Rumors were around, and so the disciples got together that evening in the upper room, maybe in the same place where they had communion a while before. We don't know. But when they get together, are they meeting together with freedom and with joy and enthusiasm and exuberance and excitement? No. What did the Bible say when Richard read it for you? On evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples were not out enjoying the resurrected Jesus. They were in hiding. They were in a room, locked and afraid. As I read that text in preparation for this morning's talk to you, I couldn't help but think about a book which I just finished reading this week. It's called Room. Have any of you heard of this book called Room? Maybe. I didn't think so. No one ever reads anymore. You'll watch when it comes out in the movie, right? Well, anyway, in this book called Room, written by uh, uh, Ellen Donahue, we meet a little five-year-old boy. His name is Jack. And when we first meet him, it's written in Jack's voice. He's a five-year-old boy. When we first meet him, we're somewhat confused because he seems like a normal five-year-old boy, but it appears that his whole world is confined to a small 11 by 11 by 11 square room with no windows and only a skylight at the top. Jack can count He can read wonderfully, has a great vocabulary, a sweet spirit, but he has a strange way of expressing himself, as you might imagine, having never been outside this room. The bed he calls bed, capital B, personified, as if it's the only one, as if it's a living object. Everything in the the room is personified. Toilet, sink, rug, skylight. It's as if he thinks these are virtually alive or the only ones of their kind. 
Well, in fact, from Jack's perspective, it is because he's five years old and he's never been outside of this room. He doesn't even know there is outside. On the television, which he has, he sees things, but these are all, in his view, in outer space somewhere. They're not real. They're all pretend. This room, or room as he calls it, is his whole universe. Why is he here? We're disturbed. We're disoriented as we read this. What's Jack doing in this room? We soon discover that Jack's not alone in this room. He lives there with Ma. We wonder, why are they here? Is Ma a recluse on purpose? Um, is she hiding from something? Why does he, she tell Jack that the things on TV are not real and are pretend? What's going on here? As the novel unfolds, we realize that Ma is not here by choice. Not at all. Seven years ago, she was a 19-year-old college student. She was kidnapped and has been secreted away in a little building behind her captor's house with no windows but a skylight. For seven years, she has lived in a place where night after night, her captor abuses her. Jack has never met this man. For every night, Ma has Jack hide in wardrobe until that secret visitor leaves. Five years ago, Jack was born. His whole world is room. He knows nothing else. Ma has tried to raise him as normally as possible under these strange circumstances. They live a very scheduled life. Wake up at certain times, breakfast at certain times. Jack loves numbers. He counts his teeth over and over again. He knows all the numbers. He can read wonderfully. They have exercise time, running around the bed. They have play time. They watch TV, but not too much for it rots your brains, Ma says. Ma's trying to do the best she can for Jack in this room, but she knows it cannot stay like this forever. Soon he will be too big to manage, too big to protect from their captor, but there is no escape. The first two years she was in this room, she tried successfully, day, unsuccessfully, day after day after day after day to get out. She couldn't. Soon, as you might expect, Jack was born, and after that, her only goal was to be keep him safe, and she has. Since the only world Jack could see was this room, she taught him this was all there was. She didn't want him worrying about what she couldn't, he couldn't see and do. Until one day, uh, until now he's getting older, she's five years old, and she, they have a beautiful relationship. Jack cannot think of himself apart from his mom. They have a beautiful relationship, but it cannot stay like this forever. Finally, when he's five years old, she tells Jack the truth as much as he can understand. As you can expect, he doesn't believe her. He can't imagine that everything he thought was true isn't true anymore. Until one day, he looks in the skylight at her behest and sees an actual airplane going across the skylight, not in outer space, but just outside the room. He begins to believe her and realize that she is now unlying to her, to him, that there really is an outside and it's not an outer space. The people and the things on TV are real. There really is a grocery store out there. There really are things out there. Together, they devise a plan at, at, at Ma's uh, insistence. They call it the great escape. 
Despite the tremendous odds, they succeed. Jack and Ma are free, and the bad man is put behind bars. You've got to read the book to understand that part. But that is not the end of the story. In fact, for Jack, it's only begun. For now, now he has the daunting challenge of living in a brand new world, one he's never known about, one he's never seen before, one which Ma has nearly forgotten, and one which Jack can hardly believe is real. In fact, if the truth were told, for Jack, the outside world he now lives in is much more frightening than the closeted world he had been in for five years. It's a scary place, more so than the room where he'd been locked up since his birth. Well, in many ways, this story parallels the resurrection story and its implications for us. For by conquering death and the grave, Jesus has achieved the ultimate great escape. The ultimate great escape. He has escaped death, the last and the greatest human enemy. Like Jack in the story, we are free. We are free from what? From our prisons of fear and our prisons of aimlessness and our prison of loneliness and our prison of guilt. But because of his great escape, Jesus offers us peace and purpose and pardon and power. These four gifts are what Jesus offered to those disciples that day while they, at their own insistence, were locked up in the room. A new day had dawned. New creation had emerged in the resurrection of Jesus. The old was passing away. The new was coming forth. But they hadn't seen it yet. They couldn't see it yet. In fact, ultimately, what we understand from Scripture is that the new creation, which, which began on the day Jesus was raised from the dead, will not be fully completed until the end time, when the new heavens and the earth come down to this earth and we live in a gloriously remade universe and a remade earth with remade bodies constructed like Jesus's. But we live between the times. We live in a world that's not 11 by 11. It's really this world that in many ways is a shadow of what it can become, a shadow of what Jesus tried to make it become, and how Jesus wants to set us free from all those things that have kept us bound. Because of Jesus' great escape, he offers us the four things that we find in this text, and we'll talk about them. These four gifts, peace and purpose and power and pardon, are found directly in this text, and we're going to consider them in order. Peace and purpose and power and pardon. So, let's look at the text. On evening of that day, the first day of the week, when he says the first day, what did God do on the first day? Let there be light. And there was light. Creation began to be born. And when Jesus was raised from the dead that day, new creation began to occur. We're living in that time. The doors being shut or locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The first 
gift Jesus offers to us because of the resurrection. And if I can parenthetically, parenthetically pause here, what I'm trying to do in this little talk today, yeah, a parenthetical pause, it's hard to say, is help you to see that just to, the resurrection was not just proof that Jesus was God, though it did prove that. It is not just proof that there's life after the death, though it did prove that. The resurrection was meant to change your world. It was meant to set you and me free from the prison of fear. Jesus came to them, and twice in this text, he says to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. This proves that he was a bodily person, not simply a ghost, not an apparition. They touched him. He had a body. It was different than theirs, but it was not uh, but, but it was a true body. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. They touched, they showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Fear became gladness. And he says it again, verse 21, peace be with you. Huh. Sure they were afraid. This had been a terrifying week for them. Just a few days ago, they had seen Roman soldiers take him in a garden. Just a few days ago, they had watched from a distance as he was raised on a tree. And they were afraid for their lives. They abandoned him. They were afraid. Are you ever afraid? The honest truth is, you are. You may never admit it, but there is deep-seated fear in our lives. We fear the economy. We fear the loss of our health. We fear the future. We fear the people that are around us who can control us. We fear the people even we love. What if they hurt us? What if they leave us? We're gripped many ways with fear, and we often lived, live in a shut-up room bound by fear. Jesus comes to set us free from the prison of fear by giving us peace. Will you receive that gift? Where does peace come from? Well, it comes from seeing what had just happened. <laughs> it was death they had just seen Jesus go through. What's the biggest thing to fear in life? Say whatever you want. At the end of that list will be death. <laughs> I mean, that's there at the end somewhere. And Jesus had died, but now there he was alive. He had said just before he died, peace I leave with you. This is just a few chapters before this in this book. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And later on, he's, that was in the 14th chapter of this book, in the 16th chapter, he said this, In this world you shall, be, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. May I ask you to receive this gift of peace today? You're troubled, perhaps? Receive peace for the prison of fear. The second thing that Jesus offers to us is purpose for the prison of aimlessness. Purpose for the prison of aimlessness. Notice what it says. Peace be with you. Verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
Now, this may seem obscure, and we haven't the time in this setting, and fortunately, what we do here at Ecclesia is we teach through the Bible, and in a few weeks, we'll actually come back to this text, and I'll get a chance to talk about it a little bit more, um, because we're in the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter right now. But in any case, when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you, Jesus had been a man on a mission called to bring about the kingdom of God. What he says is that as God sent me to bring hope to the world, so I'm sending you to bring hope to the world. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to become in our lives living witnesses of the new creation of God, to become people of peace and purpose and power and pardon, people of hope, as we say, people of faith and of love and of hope, people made new out of the brokenness of our lives, people who have a purpose to live for, who realize that God has sent us to love this world, to serve this world, yes, even to give our lives to this world as Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus, when he saved us, didn't save to just simply send us away someday, but rather to send us back into this world to serve people. Whatever job we have, whatever family we live in, whatever neighborhood we're in, we have a purpose that's far bigger than just getting another paycheck, getting another home, getting another business, getting another this, another wife, whatever. Uh, We have a purpose to bring the love of Christ in every situation of our life. Yeah, we are an aimless people. We're living, as Thoreau said, lives of quiet desperation. We're trading our lives for trinkets and toys that matter so little and giving up what matters so much, family and a faith, relationships. No, We're trapped in that. You've been trapped in it, haven't you? You don't want to be materialistic, but you can't help it. you got to have it. You you don't want to spend beyond your means, but you can't help it. you got to have it. You need a better purpose than having the respect of everybody else and be someone who's been sent. The third thing Jesus offers to us is power for the prison of weakness. The next thing he says here, Verse 21, peace be with you. That's peace. As the Father hath sent me, so I am sending you. That's a purpose. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, if we had the time to just really think about this. Jesus breathed on them and through them to us to give them the power of the Holy Spirit. Forty days after this, Jesus said, I'm going to my Father, but I'm going to send you a gift. It's the Holy Spirit. And he said this in the eighth verse of the first chapter of the book of Acts, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Yes, many of us feel weak. We feel stuck. We feel trapped. We feel unable to become the person we want to become. We feel like there's death in our hearts. Jesus comes, and keep in mind, this is like new creation all all over again. What happened in the first chapter or second chapter of Genesis? And God breathed into man, and man became a living soul. Do you remember that in in the book of Genesis? And here we have God raised from the dead, Jesus, on the first day of the week, 
breathing into us and saying, I give to you my spirit. What does that mean? We're able to go out and be the living witnesses to God's new creation because we have the spirit of God in us. Yes, we feel weak, but through his strength, we could be made strong. And the fourth thing that Jesus gives to us is pardon for the prison of guilt. It's a bit obscure where he says next, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This does not mean that we have really the right of forgiveness. It has, means that we have the message of forgiveness, with for, forgiveness, which it is our right and responsibility to offer to people that there is pardon for guilt. Do you feel guilty sometimes? I hope you do. Because we do live less than we should sometimes. And uh, we need pardon for the prison of guilt. Many of us are weighed down by our past deeds, mistakes we made, people that we hurt. Think of these disciples themselves. They had abandoned him. One had denied him. They needed to have that forgiveness and not only to receive it, but to share it with others. And so it's my privilege to say to you today that because of what Jesus has done, you have pardon. You're set free from guilt. When Jesus died, it was for your guilt that he died. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was to give the, you the new life which he now has. Yes, we live in prisons like Jack did. We live in prisons of fear, but Jesus offers us peace because of his resurrection. We live in prisons of purposelessness or aimlessness, lack of direction, lack of reason. But Jesus gives us a purpose to live and die for, to be the sent ones as he was the sent one. We live in prisons of our own weakness, but Jesus, through his resurrection, offers to us his power through the Holy Spirit. We live in prisons of our own guilt, but Jesus offers to us pardon. You know, ask yourself this question as we close our time together. What do you want to receive from Jesus this Easter? Will you embrace his peace for your fear? Will you embrace his purpose for your aimlessness? Will you embrace his power for your weakness? Will you embrace his pardon for your guilt? Because Jesus is in this room today. He wants to unlock that door for you. I trust you will respond to that. You know, when Jack got out of that room, as you might expect, the transition was difficult, very difficult for both him and his mother. And as I mentioned, Jack actually felt safer back in that room. And I believe the story takes place over the course of about a month or so. And he wants to go back to see that room later as he remembers it. You see, Jack has never felt the wind on his face, and now it's all over. Jack has never seen the sun, and it's frightening to him. He got sunburned. Jack is scared to death of raindrops. He's never felt real rain. He's been living in the wrong kind of universe. 
You and I live in a world which is not the way it ought to be, a world of push and shove and take and grab and get and give up and go and abuse and climb and all this stuff. That's what's normal for us, but it's not what's normal for the way we were made. When Jesus comes into your life, it's disorienting sometimes. You're like Jack. You thought you hated that guilt, but it feels pretty good. It made you feel good about yourself to feel guilty. You know, it's how you paid for your sins, by feeling guilty. It's hard to accept that Jesus paid for those sins. You know, all these other things. And finally, then he goes back into that room with his mother and with the cops. And uh, near the end of the book, um, he finally, he sees it. And the room is very much smaller than he remembered. It's very much darker than he remembered. It stinks in there, and he hadn't remembered that. It's an awful place. He hadn't remembered that. But now that he was there, he said, Mom, it's daytime. Can I say goodnight anyway? And she said, we say goodbye, perhaps. And so he says, I walked to bed wall. Uh, and he says, and it walked to the wall, and he says, Goodbye, wall. Then I say it to the other three walls. Then, goodbye, floor. I pat bed. Goodbye, bed. I put my head down under bed, and I say, goodbye, egg snake. In wardrobe, I whisper, goodbye, wardrobe. I kiss her face, Ma's face, where the tears are. That's how the sea tastes, they say. I pull Ma's picture down from the wardrobe and put it in my jacket. Ma's nearly at the door. I go over. Lift me up, Ma. Jack, please. Ma sits me up to her hip. I reach up higher. She holds me by my ribs and lifts me up, up. I touch the start of roof. I say, goodbye, roof. Ma puts me down. Thump. Goodbye, room. I wave up at skylight. Say goodbye, I say to Ma. Ma says it, but on mute. I look back one more time. It's like a crater, a hole where something happened. Then we go out the door. Will you go out the door? Will you see the room for what the stinking place it really is? Will you say goodbye, room? That's what resurrection brings for us. Let's receive that. Dear Jesus, we are so grateful that you set us free from guilt, free from fear, free from aimlessness, free from weakness. But it's hard to live in this brand new world when the rest of the world seems to be going on its merry way. We want to receive what Jesus offers to us. We want to say simply, Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, fear. Goodbye, aimlessness. Goodbye, weakness. Hello, new creation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.